Hey everyone, um, welcome back to another episode of the Kate Hamilton Health Podcast. So today I chat with Beatrice Caffrey. Beatrice is an online personal trainer and nutrition coach. This is another part two. I chatted with Beatrice a good few episodes back now at this stage, but we chatted about everything relating to a healthy lifestyle. So this is a much more menopause focused episode. So Beatrice herself is in her 50s and is an absolute inspiration. How she lives her life is proof that we can't actually use age as an excuse and that our habits really do create our reality. Um, Not only do we discuss stuff like menopause symptoms, but we also discuss what we can do to prepare. So this is a really, really positive conversation. We're not just talking about this is going to happen to us. This is going to happen to us. It's very much um, what we can do to prepare our bodies for what's to come and how we do have control and that we do have support and it's just it was just a really really positive way to discuss everything menopause related and I'm feeling really empowered about the whole situation you know as a 37 year old it was something that I um kind of begun to dread about my 40s that you know that I would start experiencing the symptoms that we hear so much about and whereas now I feel empowered I'm like if Beatrice can do it so can I and she talks about all aspects of you know what we need to do in our lifestyle to really maximize you know so lifestyle supplements and when we need to go to the doctor and she is not against hrt um as she is all about just taking a balanced approach to what is best for you um and it's just so positive so inspiring um i really hope you enjoy this as much as i did beatrice thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast hi kate great to see you again you are another part two. I've been doing a couple of part twos lately. I think you're the third part two that I've done, but I definitely wanted to get you back on to talk about, I've had a lot of requests from people to talk a little bit more about perimenopause and menopause. So I know our last conversation, we did a broad conversation about everything, um, but I thought we were going to narrow in and really kind of get stuck into this subject today. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. And it's I think it's great that the conversation around perimenopause and menopause are happening uh, and and I can say that perimenopause two years ago, three years ago, I'd never heard of it. Um, that's certainly something that has come much more now into the awareness of of, of the public. Uh, menopause obviously was always known about, uh, but not that we knew very much about it. But it's great that there's so much more conversation around it now. Yeah, what's changed? Do you like? Do you know? Like you know the way, like you said, it hasn't been talked about. But all of a sudden, what's happened? That's that's changed this. Do you know? I think it's definitely to do with the fact that uh, a few women who are in public life have started talking about it. So women like Davina McCall, uh, I know in the UK there were a few others, um, what's her name? Oh, I can't remember now. She used to be on the radio, Lisa Lisa Snowden. Uh, she's done a lot about it. Um, there are other podcasts, a lot more specific podcasts around the topic. There's one uh, postcast from Midlife. Uh, which also has a fantastic Facebook community. So women have started to open up a, little, a lot more about it. They've realized that what they're experiencing, experiencing, they're not the only ones that it's happening to. There's lots of other women are going through the same thing. Uh, and, and just acknowledging that it's happening. Um, I think there's two things that are really important. I think the first thing is that's important is that we keep the narrative really positive around it. I think there can be sometimes a tendency of, 
oh, you know, it's all these symptoms that we're going to experience all that. It's going to be horrible. It's, it doesn't have to be that way. So I think that's really important to keep in mind. Yeah, I think no, I'm so glad you said that. We can go into details about that. <laughs> yeah, no, because as a woman who is not yet in the stage of peri- perimenopause, I'm scared from what I'm hearing, you know, and I think a lot, like, I think it's so positive that we're talking about this and um, that it, and I do think as well, a lot of it's to do with the growth of social media and like podcasts and, you know, that there's just, we have access to more information, but like as a 37 year old woman up until the past couple of years ago, the past couple of years, um, I didn't really know. I like, I knew it was something that happened. You know, you just stopped getting your period when you got to a certain age. Yeah. But like, I didn't think it was a big deal or there was, you know, that it was just, just like when you get your period, just you stop getting it. Um, but a lot of this information has made me a little bit, you know, and obviously I'm working, working and helping women through. So, you know, I have a lot more information now, but originally when I started to learn about this, I was like, wow, I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> yes. And I, I listened to the podcast you did with Shane Walsh a few weeks ago, which was brilliant. And he, he lists the whole, you know, he gives the whole list of symptoms and it's, it kind of be you like, oh, God, you know, it's all that. But actually, I think what's important to keep in mind is so around 80% of women experience menopause symptoms, right? So that means also 20% do not experience menopause symptoms. And 25% of women experience severe menopause symptoms. So equally, that means 75% of women do not experience severe symptoms. And when you look at the whole list of symptoms, it doesn't mean that you're going to get all of them, right? So you might have one or two and then somebody else might have two or three others. So it's like a whole list of possibilities. But it doesn't mean that you're going to get all of them. And the wonderful thing is also, in that, like you said, you're 37, that you have a lot of time to prepare yourself for it. You have, or anybody in this at this age, you've got the option of putting yourself into the best possible position to not necessarily experience severe symptoms now that's not to say you know i know of women who have an amazing lifestyle and they've been exercising they're doing they, they can still kind of get hit by a train when it happens but doing what you can now will put you in the best possible position so that the impact is lessened when you get to your mid 40s late 40s early 50s okay let's talk about this because this um this is really positive so there are things that we can do to get put ourselves in the best possible shape, I suppose, heading into that stage of our lives, yeah? Absolutely. And it's really important to take the initiative and to not wait until it's happening. If you start putting these things into place now, so things like uh, healthy, balanced nutrition, right? Trying to avoid the ultra-processed foods. I know there, you know, if you look at a loaf of bread or a tub of hummus, that is processed food, but it's the ultra processed foods, the the the, um, the confectionery, all these kind of things. These are all made. They are manufactured in a way because they want you to eat more of them. So try and avoid these because they don't have a great effect on our bodies. So try and avoid the ultra processed foods. Increase your protein. Increase your fiber. So fiber from vegetables and all that. And I find that sometimes people get a bit confused with the increased protein message because they think they just need to take what they're eating now and just eat more protein. When actually what you want to try and do is kind of redress the balance on your plate. So if you look at a whole dinner plate, 
you should try and have 50% of that vegetables. Ideally, your green vegetables, your or salad, and then you have another 30% of that, your protein, and 20% carbohydrates. Whereas on most plates at the moment, that balance is completely different. It's often 50% carbohydrates, maybe 30% or 20% protein, and then there's some extra vegetables. So all we need to do is kind of redress the balance. So even if people don't want to start counting macros and counting calories, I know you talk about also portion control or how to control the portions on your plate. So a simple way to do that is if you look at your hand, that's your protein, right? I'm, I'm kind of, for anybody who can, can't see it, I'm holding up my whole hand here. And obviously, we're all different sizes, different different uh, shapes. So somebody who's a bit shorter than me might have a, a smaller hand. So your hand, that is your protein. And then if you put two fists together, that's your vegetable. And then you put one fist, that's your carbohydrate, right? So you have that kind of portion control. So... Increasing your protein is really, really important because not only for muscle development, but it helps to renew the cells in our bodies. It also keeps us full for longer. So we tend to have less um, cravings in between meals and we're much more able to just focus on three main meals a day and maybe a snack in the afternoon. But we tend to have a habit of constantly snacking here and there, not uh, maybe not having a balanced lunch or not having breakfast. Uh, so we skip meals and then we tend to rush for foods because we're so hungry suddenly because we haven't realized that we haven't eaten all day. So trying to balance our meals and have three good meals a day. Yeah. Now, what would you say to someone who, probably someone like myself, mm -hmm. I love my bit of chocolate in the evening. Is this something that I need to be avoiding or can we have a healthy balanced approach all day and maybe sit down and enjoy a little bit of chocolate in the evening or at whatever time of the day that you enjoy to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think once you start, if that's something that's really important to you, once you start denying that, then it's all you think about. Provided you have that little bit of chocolate and that's your thing and you're not going, oh, I'll have a little bit and then I'll have a little bit more and then I'll have a little more because I can't stop. So eat, I always say that also to my clients, eat with intention. Right. So even if you wanted to go and have a croissant with your coffee or you want to have something, you want to have a piece of cake, whatever, don't try not. We do a lot of mindless eating. So eat with intention. If if you want to have these things, think about it. OK, I'm going to have this now and I'm going to really enjoy this. And don't just put it in your mouth and maybe scroll on your phone. And within a minute, you've eaten it and you haven't even realized what's gone in. And then you're going to go back for more and for more. And that happens a lot. There's a lot of mindless eating that we do. Some of it is that we're always kind of feeding some kind of emotion when we're eating. It can be a positive emotion. It can be because we're with people. It's a social event. It can be a negative emotion. It can be sadness. It can be anger. It can be boredom. Um, obviously, if you're really hungry, then you should eat. But always think about you know, why am I, what, am, what emotion am I feeding here? What, what am I feeling? Why am I picking this food? And I've had this experience myself where I, something had happened and I just thought, oh, I'm just going to eat this because I know I'm going to feel good. And I thought, yeah. hang on a second, what was that? This is a really interesting thought that I'm having here. And just giving yourself the little, a bit of space between reaching for a food and actually eating it. Just put some mindfulness into that 
and think of why am I eating this? So yes, having your, your piece of chocolate, absolutely. Don't deny yourself, provided you're able to say, I'm just having this little piece because I enjoy this every night and because this is, this is, this is important to me. Yeah, no, that's really interesting what you said about the creating that space as well between the emotion and the food, because I've been talking to people lately a lot about um, kind of kind of diving into the whole concept of binge eating, which is, we're going off topic a little bit. We won't go down that road, yeah. but that, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are suffering with binge eating and it it all see, it seems to be coming down to that thing of creating the space between the emotion and the action um which is a really difficult thing to do when you're when you're in the vicious cycle of this but it's also it just it's just made me realize there that what you're saying is it's very much true just for all of us whether we're binge eating or not just to take that moment and but I'm sitting down to have my breakfast now and I know that gets harder the busier we get yeah. so it it gets harder to create the space but that space can literally be 2 minutes you don't have to get your journal out. You can literally be like, am I hungry? How do I feel right now? Exactly. What's going through my head? And like I said, if you're hungry, then absolutely, you know, eat. Don't deny yourself food because you, you think you shouldn't be eating. But equally, there, and I, you know, you've probably experienced that yourself with, with many people that there is a lot of snacking that's happening, especially evening snacking. I hear this all the time from people that it's a real problem for them. And a lot of it comes down to uh, uh, boredom or just a habit of of eating something in the evening, having something when you're sitting down to watch TV, but actually just ask yourself, do I, do I need this right now? And then try yeah. and break that habit. Sometimes breaking the habit can be just uh, uh, maybe just changing the room, changing location. It's a break in the pattern that, that, can, that can make all the difference. Sometimes it can be going for a quick walk. Sometimes I know from people have said they, maybe they just go and brush their teeth or they do their skincare. Something that yeah. that changes that routine, that that pattern that we might have, exactly. um, yeah. can make all the difference. So yes, so I know we were go, we were going to go also into weight management and weight weight loss and all that. But first of all, think about redressing the balance on your plate and also eating with intention. Yeah, and a lot of that evening time eating can then be a, as well as being an emotional reaction, it can be a physical reaction to disorganized choices throughout the day so like when you come to when you're talking about mindful eating not only does that kind of mean sitting down and being like okay I'm having my meal I'm taking these 10 minutes to eat and not be you know eating without thinking about it but it's also I think mindful eating very much is or in you know being intentional about your eating is I have a busy day ahead I need to set aside 10 minutes this morning to have my protein smoothie or whatever it is you're having for breakfast your overnight oats whatever I need to make sure that I have this meal because I won't get a chance to eat again until lunchtime. Exactly. So, you know, so that, that, that kind of comes into it as well. And to, you know, I have a busy evening so that I know that I have stuff in the house to cook a quick dinner, but one that's going to also meet my goals and my needs. Exactly. Yeah. And if you, you think, oh, no, I don't, I don't have time for it or, or just ask yourself, how am I going to feel tonight? Try and visualize yourself. 12 hours later, when you have made, when you have taken the time to, you know, cook a meal ahead and then you've had time to eat your meals and you've, 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 you've met your goals, whatever they, they were for the day, how are you going to feel? You're probably going to feel good in the evening. And equally, yeah. if you don't take those extra 10, 15 minutes, how are you going to feel in the evening? You're probably going to say, oh, you know, I had another day where I didn't do it and I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done this. So just trying to 
visualize yourself or how you're going to feel, that can be really helpful. Yeah, and that can be a nice way to create that gap that you're saying as well. So if, you know, you're always like, oh, as soon as the kids go to bed, I sit down and I start snacking. That it could be like, I get the kids to bed. I'm feeling great after a really positive day. I'm going to go do my nails or my skincare or put some tan on or go for a bath. And, you know, whatever it is, have my shower and do my hair for tomorrow and feel really good because, you know, you're going to, as you're feeling good, you're going to look better as well because when people feel good, it kind of shines through. So you can use that as a little bit of gap and then still sit down, have your chocolate or whatever you're intentionally having when you sit down, maybe to watch a bit of TV or read a book, whatever you're doing that evening, but that you've created that space to kind of, I suppose, honor how good you feel after a successful day. Exactly. And food, I mean, food is often like many others, food can be a coping mechanism, you know, coping again, coping with an emotion, but it's a quick fix. So we have to keep that in mind. And you can find, you know, we all have coping mechanisms in some way, you know, for some it's food, for some it's alcohol, for some it's retail therapy, for some it's exercise. Not all of these coping mechanisms are bad. Uh, Some of them can be really positive, like, you know, doing your skincare, doing your nails. These are kind of ways to make you feel good. So if you're using food as a coping mechanism or alcohol, maybe there are other ways that you can do that because we all want to feel good like you said you know it makes a big difference in our life at the the end of the day that's what we're all looking for um i wanted to talk a little bit but before we kind of move on a little bit more in relation to perimenopause and menopause about protein so you talked about the importance of protein and I actually did a video on this the other day of like Aldi and well, I was Aldi in particular, but there's, you know, they, they're all doing it. These protein products are everywhere. It's like the yogurt oil has become a supplement shop. It's insane. It's like protein puddings, protein pancakes, protein yogurts, protein. It's like they're slamming protein on everything. And yeah, they are high in protein. And I'll say to people, you know, if you feel like you really want chocolate with your lunch, then maybe they're nice, at the, you know, to have as a little dessert with your salad. That's fine. But don't make the mistake of thinking that you're being healthy. These are super processed foods. Yeah. How are they getting this extra protein in this kind of stuff? You know, that it's important to to note this, to eat these with intention, that's fine, but you're not being any healthier eating these as you are having like a Twix. No, no, absolutely. And obviously, listen, it's a marketing ploy. Anything that has protein on it now sells a lot better. Um, and like you say, sometimes these products can be really helpful Let's say if you're traveling or you're, you're, you're out and about and you want to make sure that you're still getting some protein in, then they can be really helpful. They can be quite expensive in the long run as well. If you, know, if you look at these little protein yogurt pots, you can easily you know, mix some Greek yogurt with some frozen or with some berries, uh, defrosted berries, and, and, and you have the, the same product but a lot cheaper. So, uh, yeah, like you say, it's, it's easy to fall into that trap, but be really mindful of, you know, do you really need this? Or like you said, can you get your protein? On? And yeah, let's not get too hung up about protein. Fiber is just as important. You know, are you getting vegetables? Are you getting fruit and all these kind of things? Are you having a overall healthy diet? Am I right in thinking the older we get and the closer to menopause we get, the more fiber we need? Uh, I wouldn't say we need more, um, but as a society, we just tend to not eat enough. Okay. Um, now, if you're somebody who has a kind of mostly, even if it's not fully plant-based or vegan or vegetarian, then then you're probably getting a lot more protein. 
But if you're somebody who eats a lot of meat, uh, then you're probably eating less vegetables. So just try and, and add a little bit more. You can use frozen vegetables. You know, if you're making a chili, for example, you can throw in a bag of frozen vegetables. Or if you're making a lasagna, try and incorporate some. If you're making a pasta sauce, you can easily blend some vegetables in. Um, there's loads of ways how you can increase it, but you just need to be mindful of that. Yeah. And I think that like from all the research um, I've done on different various diets or ways of eating, it all comes down to any um, health-based diet always comes back to eat more vegetables. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the recommended intake is around 25 to 30 grams per day for a woman, for a female. Uh, uh, In general, the societal average is around 10 grams. Okay, so we need to be doubling up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And again, you know, if we go back to the, the, the plate and the balance on the plate, if 50% of your plate is vegetables, then you're automatically increasing your fiber intake. And that's yeah. good for your gut, it's good for your digestion. I know we're going way off topic here, we're not with menopause anymore, but it's just, it's, that's why, it, as we get older, it just becomes more and more important that we make these changes. When our bodies are younger, they're a lot more forgiving. And as we get older, our bodies just need a bit more attention. And what happens at the same time is that our lives get a little bit more demanding because we have children, we have demanding jobs, we might have aging parents that we're looking after. Uh, We we have a lot higher expectations from our bodies, what our bodies should be able to do. We don't have the right recovery uh, methods in place. We often don't sleep enough. So all this just adds up over the, over the years. And then it gets to a stage when we're in our mid-40s and late 40s and it just all gets a little bit too much. Yeah, and I think that everything in society goes against what our body wants when it comes to stress, when it comes to demands, when it comes to, you know, that it it's nearly so, like, you, I feel sometimes it's like kind of swimming against the tide a little bit, isn't it? That it, it is very hard. And I th- think this is why, my coaching and my program is very much kind of very holistic and very lifestyle based because I think you you need to make so many changes in your lifestyle and your mindset to be able to really thrive, which is which sometimes can feel nearly impossible because we have responsibilities and, you know, it's just it can be tough. Yeah. And, and very often, and I'm sure it's the same for the women that come into your program, the initial goal is weight loss. But actually, there is so much more happening and weight loss kind of becomes secondary. And then, yes, it happens. And that's great. But there are so many other changes that are happening. They probably drink more water. They probably start to incorporate more movement, which makes them feel better physically. They may have started some weight training, so they start to feel stronger. So there's, there's so many, like you said, there's so many little things. But actually, it's, it's wonderful when you see that transformation happening. Yeah, no, I get. I just get excited even talking about it. Just the the difference it can make to your life. Just to start, and like you don't have to have everything perfect ever. First of all, or but the, all you have to one step forward, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna eat a little more whole foods, a little less processed foods, and it leads. It's like it's a domino effect. One thing after another. Suddenly you start to feel good, and then suddenly your goals don't become about fitting into that dress for Christmas, which is there's nothing wrong with that goal, and it could be a really good way to keep focused. But suddenly it becomes how you about how you feel along the way so even when you reach your goal you're like i want to i want to continue to feel this way or you know as you get closer to your goal or you know your goal might change because of how you feel yeah exactly exactly 
Um, yeah, so it, I think it's 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 important when we come back, if we go back to the symptoms, uh, to, to the narrative, I think it's important that we keep the narrative positive around menopause, that it's not all downhill just because suddenly, you know, you're in your mid-40s and you get all these symptoms. Yes, life can be a lot more stressful at that age. You know, your, your kids are getting older. They need you in a different way. They probably need you more in a they need more emotional support they need you less physically that can be a bit tricky sometimes because some suddenly your kind of your identity you know if you have children your identity as a mother kind of changes and if you're not ready for that that can be quite tricky but equally maybe it's freeing up time for yourself to do things that you didn't have time for before maybe you can go back into the workforce maybe you can go and do a degree i think this time can be really exciting I think it can be really um, empowering that you actually realize there's a lot more than I can do. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, that, and that is such a positive thing to hear and really exciting. Um, I just before we kind of go into kind of what we can do when we're in that stage, yeah. we had talked. So we were talking about how to prepare. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, then we went on our like huge nutrition. <laughs> but no, nutrition, obviously, literally, you are what you eat. Yeah. So what you're eating is really going to help set you up to minimize whatever symptoms you are going to experience. What else can we do? So yeah, nutrition is hugely important. Reducing alcohol is really, really, really important. And I know people don't like to hear it, but you have to be, you have to realize that you have to make changes. So if alcohol plays a big role in your life at the moment, and I know we spoke about alcohol, I think in our last conversation as well, you need to take a look at it. If you're somebody who has maybe one drink at the weekend, one glass of wine, then you know, don't worry about this. But if, let's say, okay, today is Thursday, if you're looking at the weekend and you're thinking, well, I'm definitely going to be drinking this weekend, and I know that my Sunday is probably going to be impacted because I'm going to have drinks at the weekend, and I cannot imagine going through the weekend without a drink, then it might be time to reconsider. Because our bodies have are far less able to cope with alcohol. The recovery takes a lot stronger, a lot longer, and that has a bigger impact then on, on the rest of our life, and it has a, a bigger impact on menopause symptoms. So, for example, hot flushes and all these kind of symptoms, they're much more likely to occur if you have a regular alcohol intake. So, I don't say I'm not saying you have to eliminate it completely, but definitely reduce it. Uh, then there is exercise. Um, depending on what kind of exercise, so if you're not doing anything at all, start walking. <laughs> it's the easiest thing you can do. Start walking. Think about what you enjoy doing. Or was there something that you did when you were a kid that you enjoyed doing? Was it a team sport or was it something else? Can you get back into that? Again, if your kids are a little bit older and they don't need you all the time anymore, does that give you time to maybe, I don't know, start dancing again or, or take up a, a sport that you used to enjoy. Maybe you can go and join a gym. Maybe you can work with a personal trainer. Maybe you can, so try things, try things out. Don't expect everything to work out straight away. Um, like, I mean, I went into the gym or I lifted a weight for the first time, I think when I was 45. <laughs> so it's never too late. You can start. And it's been, in terms of exercise for me, it's been the best thing. But I've also had to go through different phases. You know, I've trained on my own. I've done classes. I've worked with, trained with PTs. And I've, over time, found the thing that has worked for me. So give it time. You will find the thing. But be, be open-minded of trying new things out. Yeah, and not being like, 
I don't like exercise yeah. or, you know, I'm not someone who exercises. Just have, have an open mindset and, and try things. Yeah. It's exactly the same. Like you say, I'm not the person that does this. You can change the identity of the person that you are. Like, yeah. And it comes back also to foods. People say, oh, I don't like this food. I don't eat this. Have you tried it? Have you tried different ways um, and with different exercises? Maybe you enjoy running. Maybe you enjoy lifting weights. The beauty with lifting weights is, A, it's really good for your bone health. And as we get older, that is a problem for women. We have a much higher risk of osteoporosis, so brittle bones, which means we have a higher risk of fractures when we get older. And it's not the fracture itself. So if you break a hip or you break a leg or a knee or something, that's that much of a problem. It's the everything that comes with it then, the fact that you're you know, maybe when you're in your 60s and your or your 70s and you break a hip, your recovery entire your time in hospital is going to be longer. You'll be probably more scared afterwards to move. I've seen it in my my mother, she broke her shoulder last year. And then she was worried about going out walking on her own because it had happened when she was outside on her own. So then and then it led into problems in her back. So there's a whole lot of consequences that come with fractures. So if you do some kind of resistance training now, you're strengthening your bones and you're reducing the risk of fractures. It's so, so, so important. And our why becomes so much stronger the older we get, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you have to look at the long game here. This is not, yes, I mean, obviously you feel good after after a workout, but you might feel different, you know, if you do an intense hit workout, you kind of feel it afterwards and you feel that, you know, you're sweating and all that. When you do weight training, you might not feel that way, but that doesn't mean it's not been effective. It's, yeah. it's the long-term effect that you get from it. Yeah, definitely. And I love what you said about, um, okay, moving in towards, you know, people who are starting to go through perimenopause or maybe menopause, um, that it, it can be a scary time in your life in the sense that, you know, as you said, your kids are getting older. Maybe you have more time. You're, you're maybe you're, ident- you're not sure what your identity is anymore. And it, like, like what a great time to actually set some goals and, and set new habits and as scary at all as it is. And I'm sure, you know, being in a position where you're like, I don't know where to go next or what to do instead of looking at it from a point of fear being like, okay, this is exciting. Absolutely. There's more time for me. Absolutely. And, you know, as your kids get older, I mean, you have kids, when they become teenagers, they're not really that interested in you anymore. They're not really interested in your life anymore. They're not going to be there and say, hey, mom, great. It's great what you're doing. So it's really important that you become your own cheerleader and that you have something for yourself that you feel good about Um, because you're not going to get it from your kids. (laughs) So it's it's really exciting i think it's it's great and i mean i i qualified as a personal trainer this year i'm 54 i would have never thought that i do i would do that and everything anything is possible like you posted about your mom getting a degree at how old is she 69 65 yeah isn't that amazing yeah yeah that's it that we it's like it's nearly like society puts these puts us into brackets that like okay you're too old to do this and you know this is what you should be doing at this stage of life but you can start completely fresh at any stage of your life um as long as you're doing it for you and not because you're doing it because you think it's something you should do exactly exactly yeah so talking about symptoms so uh, first of all i'm feeling really empowered to know that with a healthy lifestyle so we're, we're talking nutrition exercise not too much alcohol just living a healthy lifestyle in general is going to help to prepare 
our bodies yeah. for this life. Also trying to implement a good sleep habits. And, mm-hmm. and I know, again, if you have children or if you have a demanding job, all that can influence your, your sleep. I'm totally aware of that. But trying to go to bed at the same time, trying to wake up at the same time, weekdays and weekends, that really helps your body to get into a regular sleep routine. And then nutrition, exercise and alcohol, all these things have an effect on your sleep as well. So sleep is 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 really important. Yeah, I I, I mentioned this in a few different podcasts now, but I listened to a podcast. I think it was a sleep expert on the Stephen Bartlett podcast, actually. Yeah, and, I she, and she was it Matthew Walker. No, it was a female one. I'm going to have to, I'll have to put this in the show notes because I keep saying I'll put it in the show notes and then I forget. I'm going to write this down, Um, sleep pod, because people are probably at this stage being like, what is she even talking about? But I'm I'm actually going to share it. I'll share it on my stories as well because it was really good. She was like, you know, that the importance of of setting a a really good sleep routine, but then sometimes that can cause anxiety because if you're not a good sleeper, you're stressed about sleeping, which is going to affect your sleep. And what she said, which really stuck with me was, what time you get to sleep at doesn't matter as much as what time you get up at. Yeah. So regardless of how shit your sleep was, get up. If you get up at 7 a.m. every morning, you get up at 7 a.m. Giving yourself a lie in is not going to make things better. Get up at 7 a.m. You might be more tired that day. It is not going to kill you. Yeah. And more than likely, you're going to get to sleep at a better time that night because you're tired and eventually your body gets into a good routine and I was like that makes so much sense rather than like lying there doing a meditation that you're not really into and you know <laughs> yeah no absolutely and and like at the weekend try and do the same thing okay maybe you don't want to get up at seven o'clock on a Saturday or a Sunday well actually I, I think going for a walk if the weather allows it is, is a great way to start your day but even if you just as long as you wake up and then maybe you I don't know, have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and, and, and read in bed, whatever it is, but just to get your body into that cycle so that it knows that that is the time to wake up and eventually it will regulate itself and it will want to go to bed to a certain time so that you get enough sleep. Well, that's so good. And that's it. Like you can still treat yourself at the weekend. And uh, well, anyone who has kids my age or at the age of my kids don't get a weekend because the GAA takes over everything, <laughs> takes over your life. <laughs> And then you throw any other sports in on top, like you don't have a weekend. But um, anyone who does is lucky enough to have a weekend, being able to, yeah, get like wake up at the same time, get up, make yourself something, yeah, nice, like a cup of tea or coffee. And it's still a treat. Then you're sitting up reading. Like, I don't have time to read midweek. Yeah. And by the time I go to bed, I like I'm asleep after a page. <laughs> so um, being able to do that in the morning is a treat or whatever it is that you enjoy to do. Maybe listen to the radio or music or whatever. Yeah. Um. To, to treat yourself that way rather than sleeping in and then because eventually then with the regular sleep patterns you don't need to catch up on it yeah exactly because you've got it yeah mm. so this makes a huge difference as well yeah sleep absolutely and i know it is a bit of a vicious cycle because so the thing if you're not if you're not getting enough sleep then you are cranky the next day you are exhausted and you you're more likely to make poorer decisions when it comes to food because you crave more sugary food obviously there are symptoms uh like hot flush etc that can prevent you from sleeping so it's kind of it's a bit of a vicious cycle so that's not great um but again by working on things like nutrition and exercise and alcohol you're giving yourself a better option of having better sleep yeah. And if you've got good sleep patterns coming into this stage, then if they are disrupted a bit, you're probably going to be in a better physical position to deal with the disruptions. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll also, you'll, you'll realize that, you know, having a Netflix binge at 10 o'clock in the evening 
is not a great idea because you're not going to feel good the next day. And you, you, yeah. you, you'll notice the difference. And when you do get good sleep, how it makes you feel and how important it is to try. And it's, again, it comes back to, you know, making the healthy meals. You know the value of doing the right thing that you just, yeah. okay, this, it's worth doing it. It's worth going. I know. Sometimes, pressing. Oh, yeah. Next episode. <laughs> Um, like no I find even sometimes you know when you actually sit down like my kids are getting a bit older so like trying to actually get them to bed on time like so it's like it can be half nine by the time I sit down and then I'm like okay me and Dave we try and watch an episode one thing like an episode before we go to bed of something just because it's the only time we spend together really and um, but I find the effort of actually getting up to go to bed I'm so tired I probably should have just been in bed just gone straight to bed rather than having that hour but um like I know that hour can be important as well. So exactly, it's important for your relationship as well because you do something together, something that's just for the two. Yeah, and that's. But that struggle off the couch into bed is real. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. So when we so, like I said, feeling empowered now that I can put these things in place. That anything, well, my sleep is something I still really need to work on. You know, I've kind of got the nutrition and the exercise down. Sleep is a constant. I'm just terrible for just not going to sleep on time I'm, I'm get, I'll get up in the morning but yeah I'm not getting enough and it's something that I'm constantly like oh I need to work on this so I'll put it at my top of my priority list yeah. um so talking to the ladies now who are starting to experience perimenopause symptoms uh what is your definition what's the difference between perimenopause and menopause I know I asked this to Shane but I, the, from, from your experience so menopause is literally just the day when your period stops Right. So peri and perimenopause is all that time before. So that can be five years, it can be 10 years. So if you're in your 40s, if you're a woman in your 40s and you haven't gone into menopause before because of maybe a medical uh, uh, history or uh, uh, any kind of other things that have happened, then you're likely to go through perimenopause. There is no, there's no test that you can do for perimenopause, right? So you can only go by symptoms. There is a test that you can do, or there, there are certain um, markers that can be looked at to, to confirm that you're in menopause. But before that, there isn't. So you can only go by symptoms. Um, and I know, I think Shane, or sometimes you can also you know, go by your periods, how regular are they, etc. That can be a little bit tricky. And this is something kind of from my own experience. So I had, I've had the coil since my early 40s i think i got the first one when i was 43 so this was for contraception and when you have kind of regular to lighter periods when you get the coil there's a chance of your period stopping which happened for me which you know, i wasn't complaining about it was great <laughs> but i kind of haven't really had a period since i was in my early 40s so when i got to late 40s early 50s i didn't really know when the moment was of you know am I a menopause or not? Because I couldn't go by my period. Uh, now, I know now that, yes, I am a menopause because there was a, a blood test that was done, done early in the year and the marker was very clear that I was a menopause now. But there are a lot of, there are a, a ton of other symptoms. Now, I would, I would say there are primary symptoms and then, then there are kind of secondary symptoms. And the primary symptoms are hot flushes, the, 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 um, night sweats now again this was not something that i experienced as hot flushes or night sweats but what, what i did have was that i would wake up in the night and i would just feel really warm especially kind of the lower part of my body from my waist down and my legs would feel really warm that i could it would 
I would be awake for an hour and a half. It was like a wave that was passing then and then it was over and then I could go back to sleep. And I would literally just try and sleep with a sheet because I couldn't have a duvet or anything. It was way too warm for me. Um, and then you can have other symptoms like aches and pains. You can have vaginal dryness. You can have this vertigo. There is mouth burning. Or, uh, there's loads of these kind of physical symptoms that I would call the primary symptoms. And then you have other symptoms like anxiety, depression, overwhelm, exhaustion, which are often associated with menopause. But I would also say that see, men experience these symptoms as well. Men feel exhausted, they feel overwhelmed, and, and they can have anxiety. Young women experience this, young men. I think these are symptoms that are generally much more prevalent in society now. And again, when we come to the mid or late 40s and we haven't looked after our bodies and we get overwhelmed with maybe work and with family life and demands, this can all come together. And then maybe physically we get, we get these hot flushes and we, we're not sleeping well anymore. This can all lead to these kind of secondary symptoms then, like anxiety, overwhelm, exhaustion and all that. So things like uh, hormone replacement therapy, HRT, can help with the primary symptoms. It's not an option for everybody. If you, uh, for women, for example, who've had any kind of cancer treatments, very often HRT is not an option. But it is something that can be tried out and that it can be helpful. But then equally, the lifestyle changes are really, really important. Right? HRT is not a wonder drug. It's not going to help if you're not making the lifestyle changes. Is It's not too late to make the lifestyle changes after you start to experience these symptoms, yeah. no? No, it's never too late. It's never, ever too late. <laughs> Even if you're... Now, the thing is with these symptoms, very often, so they're a phase. So when you get to your mid-50s, late-50s, then they can stop. So you're not going to have them until you're 70 or 80. They'll stop at some point. Um, but it's never too late, even just for your own well-being, to make these changes. Okay, so I'm really interested. So primary symptoms and did you say secondary symptoms? Yeah, I would kind of say secondary yeah. symptoms. And I'm not, I'm not dismissing any of these symptoms. I want to be clear about that. But I think we have to be, we have to also accept that things like I said, anxiety, depression, exhaustion, fatigue, and just general overwhelm, they are generally much more seen in society nowadays. So and it's in, it's interesting because that you say this because like taking my own experience of chronic anxiety in my early 20s was caused by long term stress, like just kind of constant stress, 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 like that nothing that needed to be looked at. And then all of a sudden, bang, panic attack. Yeah. And then it was the cycles of panic attacks and, yeah. you know, spending years getting myself back into a good space that literally the serotonin levels in my brain had dropped and I needed medical help to get myself back to where I needed to be. Yeah. So I suppose, are you saying then really that physical symptoms of menopause perhaps are causing stress on the body and on the person, absolutely. which is then leading to these secondary symptoms like depression, anxiety? Yes, absolutely. Very often that can happen. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, so it's literally the lack of sleep. You've experienced the these stress. things in your 20s or in your 30s. And some women experience these in their 40s or in their 50s, depending on their life circumstances. But let's not, let's not say that they're automatically symptoms of menopause. They don't have to be. 
And what about if you're someone like myself who would have had experiences of this in my early 20s now probably you know because it was quite a scary time in life as well becoming a grown-up and all that kind of stuff but if you were prone to something like that in your early stages of life are you more likely do you in your opinion to experience that when you start to experience menopause symptoms now i don't have any any clinical data that i can i could quote now and i don't want to come with it come up with anything but i i think it depends because you're much more aware of it now Right. Yeah. You are taking the necessary steps for this not to happen. So you're much more likely also not to experience it again. Okay. What I'm loving about this conversation is that menopause, yes, it's something that that all of us females are going to go through. But it's starting to feel a lot less like something that's going to happen to me. And very much something that I have somewhat got control of oh you have complete but you you absolutely you have so much control over it provided you take action provided you do things now you put things into place now and again you have you personally have done quite a lot of these things already um to put yourself into a really good position not to experience it or even just to be able to cope with it in a much better way and, and a lot of the ladies listening to this will be in the same position the fact that you're listening to a health podcast in exactly. the first place exactly. um, is going to you know you're one step ahead of a lot of people and a lot of people listening um, will have already started making healthy lifestyle changes as it is so um this is just really really positive in relation to okay like one symptom that i hear a lot of people talk about mental clarity brain fog just that feeling of just literally yeah. losing their mind a little bit not getting their mind back what's yeah. your thoughts around that um yeah again you know we have lots going on in our lives again children careers aging parents uh, uh, uh at the moment there is a lot of stuff happening in the world which can be really which can have a really really big impact on people's well-being um, all these and we, we were trying to juggle so many different balls at the same time so that we put ourselves at the back and so yes brain fog all these things can happen again because we're trying to juggle so many things so just accepting that maybe we can't do quite as many things at the same time maybe we need to drop one or two balls here safely and look after ourselves first. and sometimes that can be really hard it's hard to make those changes but equally being unwell can also is also hard so yeah. pick your heart <laughs> and i think we need to start reassessing what our definition of success is Absolutely. like is success really being in your 40s and being so stressed out yeah having loads of money but being so stressed out and busy that you don't even notice how unwell you're becoming or that you're so unhappy or you don't have any time like that's not success, really. No, no. In my opinion. No. Uh, success, yeah, we look at well, society, we look at success, success at maybe a big house and a great car and all these kind of things. But actually, do they really make you happy? Some people, yeah, it makes them happy. But you have to decide that for yourself. What truly makes you happy? What's your success? You know, is it yeah. having a, a satisfying job and, and, and having a great relationship with your kids where, you know, when they're in their teens, they do want to spend time with you. They do want to talk to you. I think that's. Yeah. Or having the time to be able to go for a walk in nature, go for a swim, get yourself a massage, you know? And I do think, you know, I think even people with money, I don't think I like, I, as someone, you know, it's not like I've got loads of money, but um, I think people with money 
it's not the money that makes them happy. The people who are happy with money, it's the other things in their life that, you know, money can add to it. Obviously, it can give you more experiences, but it's not the actual money or the things. It's the having the time or the means to do things that you enjoy. Exactly. Money can give you, you know, gives you certain freedom to make certain decisions uh, in, in, in different ways. But um, no, you're absolutely right. Having being in a position to to decide, you know, I'm going to do this today for myself. That's that's a much bigger success. So yeah, coming back to the symptoms, you have primary and the secondary symptoms, and uh, there is a lot of, you know, there are a lot of supplements. There are there are a lot of options that you can take. Um, but first of all, look at lifestyle. Make sure you're putting yourself in the best possible position, and then learn about these things. Read up about them. There are uh, several really good books about menopause, perimenopause. Um, actually, I meant to bring them, but I haven't got them here. There is um, here in Ireland. There is uh, what's her name? I think it's Caroline O'Keefe. She is the um, Wellness Warrior.ie on on Instagram. Um, she has a brilliant book about menopause. There is, in the UK, the hormone doctor, um, what's her name, Dr. Anis Mukherjee, brilliant, again, on Instagram, also has a fantastic book. And it's, it's, it's really about having the knowledge, knowing that you have control over things, and then talk to people, talk to, maybe talk to your friends, talk to, um, talk to your doctor, talk to, and if you're not happy with the response that you're getting from your doctor, maybe get a second opinion. Maybe you're lucky, like I, I was very lucky with my GP because I went to see her and I said, listen, I think I might need some help. And I, so I am on a HRT, I'm taking it, I have the patch. I also still have a coil. So the patch gives me the estrogen and the coil gives me the progesterone. That's for a couple of years. They're not long-term options. There are options for maybe two, three years. And then you should be able to remove that because you should be through kind of on the other side of it. Uh, but yeah, talk to your GP and see what they say. Yeah. And if you feel like your GP isn't being supportive, there are other GPs. Exactly. There are other GPs. There are options of, of private clinics. I know they, they are more expensive and they have very, very long waiting lists. Uh, sometimes it can be up to six months. But, you know, if it might be worth the investment of, of going to see somebody independent if, if you're not happy with the first answer that you're getting. If somebody... Um, you know, if somebody is not helpful, then yeah, definitely look at other options. So we're talking lifestyle first, supplements. Yeah, you, you mentioned supplements. So before, maybe trying some supplements before you feel you need to go to the doctor. What kind of supplements would you recommend? Uh, so supplements. So vitamin D really, really important, especially in the northern hemisphere because we're not getting, especially now at this time of the year, kind of between October and April, because we tend to not get enough uh, vitamin D through the sunlight. Again, vitamin D is important for bone health as well. Uh, good omega-3 supplements for brain health. Um, if you so omega-3 generally comes from uh, uh, can be from uh, marine, so it can be from uh, from from an animal sorry background. But even for vegans or vegetarians, there are omega-3 options. Uh, they usually come from algae, so you can get them in a health food shop. And um, yeah, I would start with that. Yeah. What about magnesium? Magnesium, yes, also really important. Can also be really helpful when it comes to sleep. There are different ways of getting magnesium, and you can take the oral versions. You can take sprays or creams. 
the sprays or creams, they go through the skin, so they tend to act a little bit quicker. If you're taking magnesium supplements, so as in, in tablet or capsule forms, it takes a little bit longer, but yeah, definitely one to look at as well. And these supplements, can we be taking them preventatively? Yeah, I think there's, there's no there's no harm starting with them, you know, when you're in your 40s. Um, again, you can't out-supplement a bad lifestyle. So first, it, it should first come from your nutrition, but we all have times when we might be, we might feel under the weather, we might be a little bit more tired due to things that are going on. So sometimes there's, it's just really good to take them on a regular basis. That's, yeah. Okay. That's really, really good advice. And in general, like that's the kind of advice I, I would give. Like I take omega-3, I drink a little bit of fish oil every morning. Yeah. People think oh, yeah, I am crazy. Now I have a, um, I have a good, like it's a good quality one, so it doesn't taste too bad, but um, I, so a little five mils of um, omega-3 every morning and yeah. magnesium. I had gotten into a really good routine of taking magnesium. I found at nighttime, like it really, like I would have it the evening when we would sit down to watch our hour of TV. I'd, I'd had a, like a powder form little drink and I slept. I really did help with sleep and I, I just ran out of it and I never replaced it. So now that, now that we're talking about this, I'm going to do that today. <laughs> creatine is another one. I think you've spoken about creatine as well. I know it's, it's kind of more known in the kind of uh, uh, strength re- resistance training world, but actually creatine is really good for brain health. Uh, interesting yeah so there's a lot of research uh, around that now and you take about five milligrams it's a powder you mix it in with i mean you can throw it into your food you can throw it into your breakfast into your smoothie um so it can creatine makes you retain a bit more water in the muscles that's why it helps for you with your workouts but it's just it's just water that it retains so sometimes when you start taking creatine there can be a little bit of increase in weight and that's literally just half a kilo or a kilo so you know if you put on five kilos it's not creatine that's done that <laughs> but it's literally just water so and it usually kind of regulates itself after a certain amount of time but yeah creatine is a really good supplement to take as well in particular for people who don't eat meat yes yeah or for, yeah, for anybody yeah. for anybody really yeah yeah i know i was take i took creatine for a long time and i found i was waking in the middle of the night to go to the toilet um and well, which was new anyway so i don't know if it was yeah creatine. so i thought i was like oh maybe this, okay this is just you know getting older i'm waking to go to the toilet now in the middle of the night annoying but okay and then someone had said to me that um i can't even remember who now that creatine can make you need to go to the toilet more okay so i get so i took a I took a break from it for a while and i stopped needing to go to the toilet in the middle of the night okay so I haven't taken it since. Now, I don't notice any major difference in my training. <laughs> but um, but it, it, I'm like, okay, if that means I'm like getting less disturbed sleep, I'll go with it for a while. But I know there are so many benefits from it. So I, I don't know. I might try and reintroduce it into my diet and, you know, watch this space. I'll let you know if I start weeing in the middle of the night again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be, that's interesting. Um, we haven't talked about uh, spoken about hydration. Obviously, drinking enough water is important as well. Um, but... I try to get all my water in by kind of four o'clock and not to drink too much water after six o'clock in the evening. Now, I still have to get up every night once to go to the toilet, but I tend to go back to sleep straight away. So it's not affecting me. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting one with the creatine. I might yeah. watch that. But like it wasn't a doctor that told me that. So, yeah. you know, that could be, you know, <laughs> I might, I don't know, but it's wor- it's working at the minute. I'm not waking again. So that's good. And I do. And I drink quite a bit of water, but like you, 
I kind of say to people, try get your water into you before dinner. Yeah. By the time dinner is, is you're sitting down for dinner that you don't want to be but like oh shit I've you know I've only drank a liter of water and trying to get like a pint in after dinner is not ideal and um, so like first thing in the morning I find it's always great to start with a pint of water first thing so like as I'm getting ready in the morning you know making the kids lunches I'm drinking water before I eat anything and mm. um, I just I don't know I just feel like it's a really nice refreshing way to start the day so that's yeah. one way to start getting the get the ball rolling with water and then carrying a bottle with you throughout the day i suppose then exactly yeah and just getting into the habit of having that bottle with you all the time uh, i find that every time i leave the house now if i if i leave the house without a bottle of water i know something's missing like i'm like what did i forget i'm so used to it now i'm the same and i was only talking about this with someone recently that it like it becomes a like a habit yeah that drinking water you know it can be quite hard at first but i if i don't like i like i have a glass of water here if i didn't have a glass of water when i'm doing a podcast i would go to reach for it and it wouldn't be there it was the same when i was in the classroom i would always have a bottle of water on the desk yeah. so the days i would forget my water like if, if i found it really unsettling i would keep going to my desk to take a drink of my water when i, when I was teaching and um Oh yeah, it's it's funny how it like becomes kind of like smoking or something. Like it becomes this habit that you just get so used to doing. A good habit, yeah. Yeah, a good habit. You see, we can create these pathways for the good habits as well. So that's I think it's important to note that, you know, I know it can be quite overwhelming if someone who's listening is, you know, oh, I'm so far away from any of this. You know, I've I've got really bad habits, I'm feeling really shit, and I'm just things are I'm not in a good place. This seems like a million miles away. That it is about taking starting small and taking it little step by step. Yeah. And really thinking about, okay, what's what's the most basic thing that I can start with today? Is it um is it just walking to the end of the road and back? Just starting with that, just getting out the door. The first step is always the hardest. You don't have to overdo it, you know, five days in a row. Just getting out the door, maybe walking to the end of the road and back, and then just trying to do that every day the most basic thing until that becomes a habit. And then from there, then thinking, okay, what's the next thing? Can I maybe have a bit more fruit or can I have a bit more vegetables? Just focus on one meal a day. Try not think you need to prepare the whole week in advance. What's the most basic thing that I can maybe do for my breakfast? Can I do something? I think breakfast is good is a good way to start because it kind of, again, like the water, it sets you up for the day. And if you yeah. had a good breakfast, then, you know, okay, I'm, I'm starting off well. Yeah. And I think, you know, to sit down after listening to this and making a list of all the things you want to put in place yeah. in your life in, in an ideal world, what are the different things you different habits you want to have in place that you want to do for yourself, whether it is eating more vegetables, drinking more water, starting at the gym, like make a list of everything like and break it down into very basic stuff like drinking more water putting some vegetables on my plate, like all the way down to where whatever level you're at now and make a list and put that list somewhere safe Yeah, and pick one thing. Yeah. And then just take it day by day. Don't focus on, oh my God, you know, yeah. until the next year, it's the same thing. Just focus on today. Yeah. So like you said, like the walk being like, okay, I'm going to walk for 10 minutes every day and don't take on anything else. If that feels like, you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone enough and just go with that. It will. And then you'll create that pathway in your brain that will become a habit. And then you're like, okay, that feels kind of easy. What else can I add in and then take something else and be like, okay, now I'm ready to look at my protein or whatever it is. 
that you decide that you're looking at and you'll build from there and like we need to just stop putting time limits on things and making everything sound like it has to be a diet you know it's there's more important things than losing body fat losing body fat is going to be is going to happen naturally if you're if you need if you have body fat to lose and you're adjusting your lifestyle to be healthier that it's going to happen naturally exactly and and also if you think oh no but i'm too busy and especially now going into halloween and then christmas it's going to be way too much on what's the minimum you could do on your busiest day because if you're waiting until whatever january when there's nothing on you're never going to start and wait until i have so much time and then you can put this program in place and then you get busy again and it all falls by the wayside so what's the minimum you could do on your busiest day yeah, because all the days are going to be busy. They mightn't seem January. January sounds quiet now, but I guarantee you, we might have a quiet week or so after Christmas, maybe two. But then things get busy again come February. Like <laughs> only that week between Christmas and New Year, where you're not busy. It's like everything yeah. else. You and that's when we're not busy. We start setting all these goals and be like, right, diet starts in January, and we put all these crazy ideas in our heads. And that it's it, like it really just is that simple. It is that basic. We can just put these simple habits in place. It's, it's not easy, but it can be done. Manage the expectations of what you think you can achieve. And I have to do that all the time. I still sometimes have days where I might say to my husband, oh, I didn't, I didn't get anything done. And he said, well, you just need to adjust your expectations of what you can get done. And yeah. I was just thinking of that now coming into the busy time. You know, Christmas is an incredibly busy time for women often because we think we need to you know, cook the most amazing dinner and we need to have everything ready and everything needs to be perfect. But maybe it doesn't have to be all perfect. Maybe we can ask for help. Maybe we can do a little bit less. Yeah. yeah. That's such a great place to finish. Yeah. That's so true. We need to manage our expectations of ourselves because I think we're far too hard on ourselves. Yeah. Beatrice, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I was delighted. Yeah. It's really really positive and empowering thing and yeah make sure, you know do know if you're listening to this you have control over what what can happen so you can change things thank you so much i genuinely feel really really empowered and positive about this whole topic after it so thank you so much thanks kate I just wanted to come on and say thank you so much for listening to the podcast and I really hope that you are enjoying the episodes and um, if I could ask for one little favor from you it would be to make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. Um, And also, if you have the time, leaving a little review of any of the episodes would be hugely helpful. And anything you enjoy, please do share it on your social media, tag me in it, or share it in your WhatsApp groups and let more people know about the podcast. All of these little things um, you might think doesn't make a difference, but it makes such a difference to try and grow this podcast and reach and help more people out there. So thank you so much. and. Then in relation to anyone looking to work with me, um, we are coming up towards the end of 2023. And at this moment, the current Nourish, Move and Shine program is in full swing and that's bringing us all the way up to Christmas. But I'm excited to announce that my group coaching Nourish, Move and Shine will be back on the 8th of January and I will be releasing some pre-sale spaces to this at the end of November at a little discount. So make sure that you are on the priority list Um, You can do that through my website or if you go to the link in the bio of any of my social media pages, you'll be able to reach it that way. But my website is katehamiltonhealth.com. If you go there, you'll be able to make sure you're on the priority list and spaces will go out to my email list at the end of November for a few days around Black Friday. 
and then they will close again until after Christmas and then the spaces will open and we will be in full swing 8th of January to start the new year with fantastically good habits. Um, but, but if you don't want to wait that long, I do have some space available in my one-to-one coaching, which is available by application only. Again, you will be able to apply for one-to-one coaching through my website, katehamiltonhealth.com. So if you're interested in investing in you for the next few weeks, the next few months, and you'd like to work with me online on a one-to-one basis, head over to my website, fill out the application form, and you will hear from me soon. Thank you so much. <laughs>